We're going to look at God's Word together. Um, we're going to read from John chapter 17 this evening. Um, it's page number 1085 in the few Bibles. Um, this is Jesus' high priestly prayer, um, which is long and in-depth. So we're going to look at the end few verses of it, from verses 20 to 26. So John 17, starting at verse 20. And as we read, we remember that this is God's word to us. It says this, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. And to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. We thank God for the reading of his word tonight. I wonder tonight, how is it that you want to be remembered? How is it that you want to leave this earth? What memories is it that you want people to have of you? If you knew that this incoming week was your last week on earth, how would you live it out? What activities would you get up to? Who would you go and see? Who's important enough to see? Would you go to your family and to your friends? Do you make up with that person that you've argued with for years? Do you try to squeeze in that last big experience? You book yourself in for that last minute skydive or the opportunity to swim with dolphins. There's so much, isn't there, that we'd want to cram into that week. There's people to see, there's things to do, there's stuff that must happen. What would you do in your final days? The great Scottish reformer John Knox was a real hero of the faith. And John Knox had this chapter, John 17, read to him every day during his final days when his illness was at its worst stage, when his life was at its darkest and most painful moments, this great prayer of Jesus was read to him daily. And this chapter provides for us tonight, just as it provided for John Knox, a great reminder of the incredible works that Christ has done on our behalf, how he has interceded and stood in the gap for us through his life, his death, and his resurrection. A reminder that we need tonight, no matter what stage of life we find ourselves, there is a real hope in this prayer that we too can know God and be united to him for all of eternity. A prayer which gives us great encouragement, 
as we travel through the roller coaster that is life. And much has been written about this prayer. It is in depth. There are deep themes running throughout and interwoven in it. Taylor writes, helpfully that this prayer consists of around 650 words. It takes approximately three minutes and 30 seconds to read the whole way through, but will take us all of eternity to fully understand what it means for us. And Jesus prays this prayer knowing that his time on earth is indeed coming to an end. As his life draws to the end, here he is praying to the Father. And John uses the previous chapter, John chapter 16, to record the encouragement that Jesus gives to his followers amidst the challenges and the persecutions that he knows is going to come their way. And here in this chapter, he prays for himself, initially in verses 1 to 5. He prays for his disciples in verses 6 to 19. And then he prays for the church in the world from verses 20 to 26, the verses that we have just read together. And it's that section, the prayer for the church in the world, that we want to give our particular focus to this evening. I think we would be given a real disjustice if we had tried to do the whole chapter. And what I hope and want us to see tonight is that Jesus here is looking down the line. He's looking for the people who are going to follow after him, and he's praying that God will keep them, that he will guide them, and that he will sanctify them as they go. The Gospel of John begins with those incredible words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And if we jump in that first chapter to verse 14, we read these words. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Literally, this verse can be translated as Jesus has dwelt or tabernacled with us. Jesus has acted for us as this great meeting place between God and his people, as part of this new covenant people that we are who are rescued because Jesus is our great sacrifice. Christ is our great high priest this evening, mediating a way for us to come to God. Hughes helpfully writes that the glory of God is seen in the revelation of who he is and what he is. Jesus has been displaying for his followers a foretaste of the greater glory to which is his. And Jesus is fully aware that his time has come to be killed. But also, he's aware that in his death and in his resurrection, God was going to be most glorified. Jesus knows he's about to complete the work that God has sent him to do as he dies upon the cross, as he takes our place. God had sent his only son into the world so that those who believe in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Those great words of hope from John 3, 16. This is the great mission of Jesus. And he knows that the glory that awaits him at the Father's side. But Jesus stands here. Picture the scene. The night on which he was going to be betrayed by Judas. The night that he was going to be arrested 
And ultimately, the night that he was going to be sent to his death through corrupt trials. And what is it that we find him doing? He's praying. And he prays for us as his people tonight. I wonder, have you doubted this week that Jesus, the Son of God, loves you? Here he is, standing on the brink of death so that we could be saved, and he is praying for us. This is the great extent of how much Jesus loves us. And he's prayed for his disciples. He's knowing that they're going to face a similar hatred and verdict that he has. Recognizing that these are the men given to him by God the Father to reveal himself to. And these men have believed in him. But now they're going to be left in a world with no Jesus. Jesus has protected them. And as they're being sent into the world, he prays for their continued sanctification. That these men would continue to become more and more like him. And then he turns his attention to the wider church in the world. And what Jesus prays for, he knows that we can only accomplish through his death. Tonight, I hope we are able to recognize that. Tonight, I want us to see in these verses that because of Jesus' death, we can be one with him, we can know him, and we can share him. And tonight, I do not want us to leave burdened by this, that we need to do better in order to achieve these things. But I want us to recognize that actually because of Jesus, we get to receive these things if we trust and believe in him. So because Jesus died on the cross, our first point, we can be one with him. The world is just not how it used to be. Back in my day, that never would have happened. When I was at school... (laughs) How many times have we heard statements like these? When we look out at the world which is out there, we so often look back at the world that we used to know, how it all used to be. Today we are living in an ever-changing society. The world is and indeed a changed place from what it used to be. The culture is changing, it seems, on a near daily basis. Technology is developing rapidly and changing the ease in which we can live life. Advancements in science are meaning that we are living longer and with a general better quality of life. We are making new breakthroughs all the time. Life can be viewed as improving. But yet we know tonight, don't we, that the world is inherently wicked and cruel. And C.S. Lewis, as always, hits a nail on the head when he writes these words. He says, we find ourselves in a world of transporting pleasures, ravishing beauties, and tantalizing possibilities, but all constantly being destroyed, all coming to nothing. The world that we live in is constantly whispering lies into our ears, And it's promising us the sun, the moon, and the stars. But yet here, as believers tonight, we can come disheartened and pressed down because of the world today. And here we see Jesus has been praying for his disciples, and he wants to pray for us tonight on a similar accord. He knew that his disciples would go out and spread the good news about him, 
And so he prays for people like us tonight, people who have heard the good news of the gospel and who, by the help of the Holy Spirit, have responded to it in repentance and faith. And what does he pray for? He prays that we will be one. He knows that as we come in repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, that we are indeed one with him. How incredible is that tonight? Tonight, if you're a believer here, you are one with Christ. We are united to him with a bond which can never be broken. This is something that should give us great hope and encouragement for the week ahead. But Jesus is also praying here for the church as well, that it should be united as one. There are many things that our church should be. Loving, kind, holy, faithful, missional. The list could go on and on. But Jesus here in this prayer is primarily concerned that the church be united as one. And we need to see this tonight. But this is never a oneness that we could have achieved by ourselves. Instead, it's this supernatural unity. We look again at the passage. Verse 21 says, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may you also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Tonight as the church, we are to model the unity displayed for us in the Godhead. Jesus, in his humanity, has loved and obeyed the Father perfectly. There is no divisions between them. They are perfectly one. We know that the Godhead may be three persons, but it has, is, and will always be perfectly one. We worship one God this evening. They are united perfectly. And we, as the church, as followers of Jesus, are to reflect these great qualities. We need to be people as well who love and obey God. And as we do that, we are bound and united with other believers doing the exact same thing. We are to be one, not because of our own strength, but because of Jesus. He has shared with us a great revelation of who he is and what he is. This glory that he speaks of in verse 22. And this message has been given to the apostles, which has been passed on and on and on until it has reached us, 21st century Western believers in Lurgan, Northern Ireland, tonight. And so like the grapevine of John 15, we are to be in them. We are to be people who depend upon God. We are to be one tonight, just as God is one. We are to be united. And sport is a great illustration for this. Whether that be this week, professional footballers coming together to fight racism, which is still taking place in football matches today, On a slightly lighter note, this past Friday evening, a few of us joining together to play a football match. And our greatest performance that night was in McDonald's afterwards, discussing why we lost so heavily. I refused to publicly shame us all this evening and disclose the final score. 
oh, we hadn't trained and we weren't fit and half of us were playing with dodgy knees and half of us, well, we play other sports at the weekend. But really, we needed to be more united. There was gaps in our defense. We needed to set aside the desires to be the star player and to have our great name up in lights. And we needed to work together for one goal and for one purpose as one team. And now the church's job is so much more greater and much more profound than winning a simple football match. But the premise is the same. We need to be united. We need to be people who love God well. We need to be people who love others well. We need to be good disciples. We need to have a similar purpose. We need to reflect Jesus to one another. We need to be one tonight. And as we do this, the world will get to see God through us. Jesus is so clear here, isn't he? Our oneness displays the great love of God. How we love each other shows the great work of love that God has done within each and every one of us as believers here tonight. There's a great challenge with that question. Are we a church that reflects this quality in our lives and in our church? And the whole point of this prayer is that we cannot do this by ourselves. We cannot magically bring this up by our own strength and say this is something which can only be done because Jesus has saved us and called us to be his people and that the work accomplished on the cross has not only given us a right standing before God, but is changing us and molding us. When we recognize the great extent of what it is that Jesus has done for us, then we will be able to love better. We will be one more as we see how God is one more. Christ's love unites us because without it, we are all helpless wretches lost in our sin. But because of Jesus, we are all saved people clinging to a Savior who loves us regardless of how messed up we are. We are one because Jesus is one. Because of Jesus' death, we not only get to be one with him, we can also know him. Icebreaker questions. You either love them or loathe them. A cringy but classic start to any social event where people ask general questions of each other to break down the awkwardness and to get to know one another really quickly. My go-to, if you're ever struggling, is you're a talk show host and you can have three guests from all of history or the world today. Deceptively, a great question to learn lots about someone and what it is that they prioritize. But getting to know someone can be hard work. And here, Jesus diagnoses the problem of a world that does not know him. Many people in our life, if we think about it, have no interest in Jesus at all. Culture today can shape and mold people to never give Jesus a second thought. 
I will be who I want to be, and no one will tell me otherwise. People come back to us with this all of the time. And this is not a new thing. This week, as I was scrolling through BBC News, I saw an article showing photos of what looks like a homosexual wedding ceremony in 1957 in America. A roll of film, that film shows you how old it was, had been dropped off at a chemist in Philadelphia and never picked up again until somebody later found the photos themselves. Culture is not a new problem. It's not something which has only started in the last few years. People don't want to know who God is or how it is that he has taught us to live in the world as his people. People, tragically, just don't care. But Jesus knows that he has made known to who God is and what God is to both his disciples, who are going to tell us, and he says he's going to continue to do so. And so because of Jesus tonight, we can know God. We can enter into a relationship with him. We can pray and seek, speak to him. Because of Jesus dying on the cross, the curtain has been torn in two. No longer is there a barrier for us to come before God, but as his redeemed people, we can know him. God now doesn't solely dwell in a temple. He dwells in us. We can know him deeply and richly. And Jesus here knows that his time on earth is ticking away slowly. And Jesus lifts his head and he looks to the end of the road. He looks to his bride, the church, coming to him in glory. Take them to where I am. One day, brothers and sisters, we will know God fully and we will see his glory in all of its boundless splendor. And until then, we continue to walk in faith, awaiting his return. We look back at the glory of the cross for our lives as a foreshadowing of the great and glorious return which is going to come. And again, this is not something we have achieved by ourselves. We haven't earned our place in heaven. We haven't been good enough or tried hard enough. This is only because Jesus came to earth and died for us in our place. There's a great welcome here for us to come and to share in his glory for all of eternity by his free grace and mercy to us. What are we going to do with that invite? Thirdly and finally, because of Jesus' death, we can also share him. The, the, the disciples and soon-to-be apostles are prayed for here as people who will start the great work of the church in spreading the good news of Jesus. But this is not a task solely down to the disciples, but a call to each and every one of us here tonight. As we spend time looking at what it is Jesus has done for us, how that because he has died in our place, we are united and one with him, 
that because he has died, we can know him fully one day. And we possess this message of great hope, a hope that our world is crying out for. It just doesn't know that that's what it's looking for. Maybe when you were off over the summer, you found yourself watching a little bit of daytime TV. Daytime TV, I must admit, tonight depresses me sometimes. There are full of talk shows about the smallest and most insignificant things. Shows which celebrate gossip and celebrity culture. Shows of people trying to make money in order to find happiness. Shows watched by people like us who are just filling time. Now, I'm not saying tonight that we should never watch television, um, but it's not hard to see from it where the world has completely missed the point. We have a message tonight that the world needs to hear. And as we've already thought about, we can display this love of God through our actions. We display it in how it is that we act and love each other as a church. But also we are to be people who are about the business of sharing this message, this great work and task to be sharers of the gospel with the people in our lives. And so I ask, what awaits you tomorrow morning? An office full of people gossiping about other people and telling wild stories from their thrilling weekend. A workplace full of hard men who speak terribly of females. Maybe this week you begin work in somewhere new. You start in a new church, in a new place with new people. Maybe tomorrow morning you'll be at home with your family and the pressures that lie there of family life. In all of this, in whatever it is that lies before us, the task is great. Sharing the gospel in these situations and places that God has placed us is not easy or straightforward. And this is why we could never do it by our own strength. We can only do this because Jesus has died upon the cross. Because there is a deep hope within us. A hope which should drive us tonight to be sharers of the gospel. Because Jesus has died on the cross, we can share him. If this was the last week of your life, don't waste it. Don't settle for the things of the world. Remember afresh tonight who you are in Christ and the great privileges that you share in. And be sharers of this great news. Because Jesus died on the cross, we can be one with him, we can know him, and we can share him. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you this evening for sending your son, Jesus Christ, that God, because you've sent your son, we can indeed be united to him. God, we thank you tonight that you have saved us as your people. And Father, we do pray that this week you will help us um, to be your people, to live lives which are faithful to you 
And God, that we would be about this great task of sharing your good news with the people you have placed in our lives. Father, help us to recognize as we walk out these doors that we do not do this by our own strength. But God, we do this because Jesus has died for us and in our place. Father, we thank you that we have a hope that is worth placing our life in. Father, we pray that you will be with us and you will help us and guide us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.